a trusted voice of truth and light. The narratives that mislead most of us aren't outright lies, they're the deliberate omission of facts that could give us a more complete picture. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. The world needs your leadership, and the essence of leadership is using your influence wisely wherever you happen to be standing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome to the show. Well, where do we begin? I, I want to say something like, oh, 2020, <laughs> you are a gift that just keeps on giving. And the latest twist is, of course, that the president and the first lady apparently have now pe- tested positive for COVID-19. So uh, President Trump is now in uh, quarantine. And, uh, you know, he was right there in the same room with, uh, with Joe Biden and Chris Wallace. So I don't know. Is this going to translate into, you know, suddenly there's going to be a lot of folks in Washington? I mean, he's met with military leaders. He has met with other members of Congress. I think Nancy Pelosi may have met with him uh, fairly recently. Wow. Now, of course, testing positive. We just have to remind ourselves. That doesn't necessarily mean, oh, my gosh, they've got it and they're all on ventilators. That's not the case. But, uh, you know, if we needed a little something to just add one more level of intensity to an already polarizing election, yeah, I think this would just about do it. I don't even want to speak out loud what I think, you know, the the next level of difficulty could be. Because that would be something like World War III. But, hey, you know, we'll we'll keep that one on the back burner. So here's a question that I have for you. And and if you think that, uh, that I'm nuts for suggesting such a thing, that's okay. I'll take that risk. But are you considering stocking up right now? Well, there is a lull in the storm. Let me explain what I'm talking about here. Um, you know, if I've been to the store now a couple of times in the last couple of days, been to Sam's Club, went to the grocery store, and things are pretty calm, other than the fact that just about everybody is wearing a mask. Things are pretty calm. It's mellow. Nobody seems panicked. The store shelves aren't bare. There's plenty of toilet paper. That's always a good thing to see. Uh, Plenty of bottled water and so forth. But do you think people are going to feel that way a month from now? Like as the election approaches? I think think we have about a two-week window. And and I really hope I'm not contributing to any panic by by saying this, but I think we have about a two-week window in which... If you want to stock up on items that uh, that you need, food or supplies or that kind of thing, this is the time to do it. If you're looking for ammunition, too late. <laughs> it's, wow, it's, it's really hard to find. If you're looking for lids, like for canning, sorry, that's, that's as hard to find as ammunition. So there's an article here I saw from Kent McManigal. And I really liked his approach. He says, consider stocking up for election. He says, stocking up on food and supplies before the worst part of the forced shutdowns could turn out to have been good practice uh, for what may be coming after the presidential election. He says, especially considering the new vacancy on the Supreme Court. He says, this development is just another piece of the colorful puzzle called 2020 and will probably make civic or uncivil unrest more likely than before. 
But he says this vacancy shouldn't come as a great shock to anyone. The shoe's been waiting to drop for years. People have had plenty of time to get used to the idea. Why didn't they? Well, whatever the reasons, this latest turn of events doesn't bode well for social harmony. And he says if the more aggressive factions among us are upset over the outcome of the election and express their unhappiness in their favorite ways, the supply chain may be disrupted again, possibly even more than it was before. And this is the question that really grabbed my attention, and I'm hoping this catches your attention too. He asks, are you ready for empty store shelves again? Now, just as a a quick aside here, do you remember what it was like about mid-March? If you dared go to the store, do you remember that sick feeling in the pit of your stomach as you saw people dragging around two shopping carts with that deer in the headlights look in their eyes and, you know, just, what can we get? What can we get? Do you remember, do you remember showing up outside the grocery store at 5 o'clock in the morning and seeing a 100 or more people all standing there, very determined looking, just waiting to get in so they could get whatever they could? Pepperidge Farms remembers. I remember too. And it's, it's a terribly unnerving feeling. Now, it, it doesn't have to be that way, but you got to be willing to act while people are still in that sense of, no, everything's pretty much cool. That's right now. If you put it off, you're going to be back there with that sick feeling in your stomach. And, you know, remember, back in March, we didn't have nationwide protests. We didn't have violence in the streets. We didn't have Antifa thugs out there burning and beating and threatening people. So, yeah, the intensity could be a little bit higher this time. Kent McManigal says, you're probably, in, you're probably in better shape to ride out any new shortages thanks to the pandemic. Now, he says, also focus on the possibility of social turmoil if the riotous crowd doesn't get the election result at once. Those who loot and burn businesses belonging to people who might have been on their side otherwise haven't shown much capacity for considering the costs of their actions. And he says, I don't imagine they'll suddenly get smarter. They'll starve themselves and you just to show how angry they are if they don't get their way. Now, he says, I don't expect violence to break out locally, but as you probably notice, if you've seen our hazy skies recently, things that happen far away can affect us. So be ready just in case. Stock up on the things you wished you had bought before the last shortages, and don't forget water. Make sure you have enough to ride out at least the time between the election and inauguration. More would be better. And encourage your friends to do the same. He says, I'm not saying it will happen, just that it's a possibility, and I can see how the election, along with Supreme Court vacancy, could trigger it. Maybe nothing big will happen, and in a few months we can all laugh about how wrong and paranoid I was. He goes, we can hope. But he also says, don't bet your life on it, though. I'm not going to. I would rather take the risk of being a laughingstock than to see you caught off guard by rough circumstances. Consider it my sacrifice for your sake. And he says, you're welcome. Now, likewise, I feel like I'm sticking my neck out here a little bit. And maybe I'm doing a pretty good impression of Chicken Little by suggesting such a thing. Because I can't tell the future, okay? I'm not clairvoyant. I'm not one who can tell you, oh, yes, the tea leaves definitely predict this is what's going to happen. I have no idea. But based on what we have already seen so far this year, and based on what I can readily observe just looking around me right now, it's pretty clear that right now things are pretty peaceful, all things considered. 
And I say that based on, you know, when, when I go to the store, including the big, you know, box warehouse stores, I don't see people in a state of panic. The only thing that uh, that belies, you know, how nervous people are is the ubiquitous face mask. That we can deal with. But that tipping point where people go from, hey, you know, everything's pretty much okay and, you know, we're, we're not concerned to, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, we got to get whatever we can get our hands on. There's fist fights in the toilet paper aisle again. That tipping point is much, much closer than, than you think. So take advantage of this calm right now. Maybe the storm won't hit. But if it does, you'll be very glad that you took the time to stock up on a few extra things. And if I could make this suggestion, this is a very good time also to partner with your neighbors. Let's say, for instance, you have neighbors who have young children, kids in diapers. Might not be a bad idea just to keep an eye out. Maybe grab a couple extra packages of diapers, even if you don't have kids in diapers, and set them aside. Because if we see people go into panic mode, that is one of the things that will disappear quickly. And you can ask your neighbor, hey, if I were to see a good, uh, you know, a good deal on these, or if I was able to, to grab a few extras, would that be okay? Um, just let them know. In a pinch, I've got this if you need it. Not like, and I'll sell it to you at a highly inflated rate, but sincerely look out for one another. And you'll find often that they're willing to reciprocate. I mean, I've had neighbors ask me, hey, as, as we're out there, you know, as we're shopping for, for ammunition or, or whatever, do you need us to keep an eye open for you? And I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. From the standpoint of, yeah, maybe, maybe there are some things that I need that they will run into, and that's great. That's, that's helping both of us. But it also shifts our focus away from me, me, me. I've got to protect me and mine, you know. And, and we're looking more uh, to help one another. And I know I've said this before, but I think it bears repeating. Nothing will take your mind out of the fear zone and put you into a place where you can deal with even really, you know, unpredictable and stressful circumstances like caring about the people around you and doing your best to help take care of them. It really does take the fear down to a manageable level. So... Hate to start on kind of an apocalyptic note, but I feel better for having got this off my chest. Stick around. We'll be back in just a moment. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Our program is brought to you in part today by Jeff Staples Real Estate. Jeff operates out of southern Utah, but if you live within the state of Utah and you're hearing this, um, he can help you because he has folks all over the state. He's part of ERA Brokers Consolidated. And look, it's a hot fast-moving real estate market if you are basically if you're interested in selling your home for more or buying a home for less jeff's the guy you need to talk to best way to reach him is you go to my show notes the brianhydeshow.com these are the show notes for october 2nd and down there at the bottom of the page is a link which will take you right to jeff's page and you can find all the contact information when you talk to him 
when, when, when he helps you purchase your home or sell your home, make sure that you mention, hey, the reason I contacted you is because I heard Brian talking about you, and he said you are the guy to go to. He'll appreciate knowing that his advertising message reached your ears. So earlier in the in the week, I shared with you an article from Jim Quinn from the Blurning the the Blurning the Burning Platform about the uh, systematic destruction of America. For all the talk we hear, well, you know, racism is systematic, and oh, well, this this proves it. The sixteen nineteen project and so forth. I don't believe a bit of that, but I do believe that what's going on right now, the dismantling of our liberties, the dismantling of our economy, is very systematic. And in part one, Jim Quinn explained the the purposeful, systematic destruction of global economies with a bad flu as the catalyst. He says that's part of a plan by the Davos elite to reconstruct the world in a manner most beneficial to these evil men and detrimental to you and me. And he says the fight remains to be fought. Orwell's worst fears are coming to fruition. So this is part two, and this is... This is, again, zooming out to the 30,000-foot view of what's happening. This is some of the best analysis you're likely to encounter. Now, I, I have to tell you right up front, it's not sugar-coated. This is not spun to, to soften the, the hard truths that have to be faced. This is a pretty clinical, hardcore look at what's going on. And I like Jim Quinn because I don't think he sensationalizes. I don't think he uses hyperbole and, and you know, uh, makes... I don't think he tries to tell it in the worst possible sense, but he does face hard facts in a very straightforward manner. As, as, as much as it surprises me, I'm grateful for that, even though the truth can be a little painful at times. So here's what he has to say about uh, what's going on. He says, the masking of the masses has been and continues to be about despotic politicians and arrogant bureaucrats demanding obedience as a mechanism to judge their ability to shame the masses into submission. Did you catch that? It ain't about your health. And Jim Quinn says it has nothing to do with health or protecting others. The health experts, like Fauci, the Surgeon General and CDC Director, actually told the truth back in March when they told everyone masks didn't protect you from viruses. When the powers that be decided this flu needed to be hyped and blown out of all proportion, mask wearing was used as the symbol of fear necessary to panic the public into submission. Media campaigns, celebrity virtue signaling, corporate coordination, and fake documentation were immediately implemented to corral the sheep and force them to conform. Dehumanizing the population, using a false narrative to shame non-maskers as serial killers, turning neighbors into snitches, and using police thugs to enforce these unconstitutional dictates has created an atmosphere of anxiety, suspicion, and fear as the perfect method of domination. And he says the non-critical thinking sheep are driven by emotion and feelings. If they were capable of understanding facts and data, they would conclude this entire episode is much ado about nothing. Medical experts have proven that the masks are useless in protecting anyone from viruses. And Sweden has proved herd immunity and our own immune systems are the answer. But he says facts don't matter to the gulag commandants. He has a quote here from the CDC from May of this year. Disposable medical masks, also known as surgical masks, are loose-fitting devices that were designed to be worn by medical personnel to protect accidental contamination of patient wounds, 
and to protect the wearer against splashes or sprays of bodily fluids. There's limited evidence for their effectiveness in preventing influenza virus transmission, either when worn by the infected person for source control or when worn by uninfected persons to reduce exposure. Our systematic review found no significant effect of face masks on the transmission of laboratory-confirmed influenza. And there's a picture that he posted here that I think tells the story as well. And it's a young woman holding a sign that says, if masks actually worked, they would have been banned just like hydroxychloroquine. Okay. Also, this is from the New England Journal of Medicine from May 2020. We know that wearing a mask outside healthcare facilities offers little, if any, protection from infection. Public health authorities define a significant exposure to COVID-19 as face-to-face contact within six feet with a patient with symptomatic COVID-19 that is sustained for at least a few minutes, and some say more than 10 minutes or even 30 minutes. The chance of catching COVID-19 from a passing interaction in a public space is therefore minimal. In many cases, the desire for widespread masking is a reflexive reaction to anxiety over the pandemic. End quote. So Jim Quinn says the breathless case count and daily death totals proclaimed by the fake news media are hyped to scare a dumbed-down populace incapable of understanding percentages and unable to assess their true level of risk from this flu. They say there have been 7.1 million cases in the U.S. Most didn't know they had it. So your chances of not getting it are 98%. This week, our beloved experts at the CDC provided real data about your chances of dying from COVID if you get it. How could a rational people create a global depression and destroy the lives of millions in order to combat an extremely non-lethal flu? He says the men responsible for this man-made disaster should be held accountable, and we as a people need to look in the mirror and take accountability for our own lives, dismissing the illegal and immoral dictates of tyrannical despots. There's a tweet that he shares here from Governor Ron DeSantis from Florida. The CDC recently updated estimated infection fatality rates for COVID. Here are the updated survival rates by age group. Listen to these numbers. If you are age 0 to 19... Your survival rate is 99.997%. Age 20 to 49, 99.98%. 50 to 69, 99.5%. And if you are 70 plus, well, there you're in trouble. Because there the survival rate is 94.6%. Now Jim Quinn says, of course... The systematic racism narrative cowing the population through masking masking pandemic fear and the ongoing coup against President Trump have been used to distract the people from the primary objective of the Davos elite. The systematic destruction of small businesses during this scamdemic have been a principal objective and have been accomplished with aplomb. Small businesses had employed 60 million Americans prior to this overhyped flu. At the end of June, 1.4 million small businesses had closed or suspended operations. With the Paycheck Protection Funds now depleted, it's estimated 4 million small businesses will close permanently by the end of the year. That represents 13% of the 30.7 million small businesses, as counted by the Small Business Administration. These businesses were destroyed by government mandate at the behest of the corporate Davos elite. Now, evidently, COVID could only be contracted at your local small retailer, deli, pub, or restaurant. But the mega retailers like Walmart, Target, and Home Depot, well, they were safe from this dreaded killer virus. 
As your neighbor's small business went bankrupt, these mega-retailers have raked in record profits and seen their stocks reach all-time highs. But see, small businesses can't get Wall Street financing or dial-up Mnuchin or Powell or spend millions on national ad campaigns or use their lobbyists in Washington, D.C. to carve out a huge piece of the pandemic relief pie. You get the picture. The employees laid off by these small businesses will be forced to beg for jobs at the megacorps. And he says this this coordinated destruction of small business is a major step in our digression into a corporate fascist dystopian hellscape. Okay, we'll come back with more of Jim Quinn's analysis. Brace yourself. (laughs) It's just the other side of these messages. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. I am sharing with you an article from Jim Quinn from The Burning Platform. The only thing systematic is the destruction of America. This is part two of a two-part article. We shared the first part earlier this week. You can find the entire article linked in the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. And you'll also find other articles. I always... When I'm doing show prep, when I'm pulling together things to talk about on a given day, I always have more articles than I have time to cover. And so I would encourage you, go to the show notes again at thebrianhydeshow.com and just take a look. You don't have to read everything. I understand not everything is going to be of interest to you, but I carefully try to pick things that offer insights and most importantly, principled analysis of what's going on without the usual partisan back and forth. There's less of a red state, blue state dynamic to the way this information is presented. And I think that's important because I think often that distracts us from some of the real issues. Now, granted, what I'm sharing from from uh, Jim Quinn is is pretty hardcore, painful truth. And I don't uh, blame you if you if you say, man, this is uh, this is not really very pleasant to hear. It's not. And it's not fun for me to share, but... I think it's important we understand what we're up against, or at least consider that this may be what we're up against, because I'm not going to tell you that everything he's written here is absolute gospel truth. Therefore, hang your hat on it, because he cannot be wrong. But when I, when I weigh this against other sources and other developments that I have seen unfolding, it seems to hold true. I think the probability is extremely high that uh, he's, got a, he's got a good take on this. And as a trained economist, he is backing it up with facts and figures, charts and graphs that would seem to bear out what he's saying. He's not exactly shooting from the hip, I guess is what I'm getting at. In the last segment, we were talking about how small businesses are being destroyed by the shutdowns. Because apparently you can only catch COVID if you attend, if you, if you patronize a small business as opposed to one of the big box stores or one of the big corporate businesses. And he says this transfer of wealth from small business owners to the likes of Bezos and other megacorps is small potatoes compared to the pillaging of the little guy by the Federal Reserve over the last century, and particularly over the last six months. The $3 trillion of debt created out of thin air since March and the ongoing $1 trillion per year have not benefited you or anybody you know. And he has a nice representation here, a graph of the Fed balance sheet where you can see this with your own eyes. 
He says these trillions have been funneled directly to the vampire squid, Goldman Sachs, and the rest of the Wall Street criminal cabal, along with billionaire hedge fund managers and various connected Davos elite. When the stock market tanked by 30% in March, the dozens of calls between Powell, Mnuchin, and Wall Street CEOs weren't about saving Main Street, but concerned about how to recoup their losses and implement a plan to rig the stock market back to all-time highs, Powell's no-banker-left-behind plan. And it only took $3 trillion infused into the veins of Wall Street debt addicts to achieve their sole purpose of making billionaires richer. And he's blunt. He says they don't give an F about you, small business owners, blue-collar workers, or senior citizens. How is it that reducing interest rates to 0% for Wall Street banks while they continue to charge 18% on credit card balances of pandemic-induced unemployed Americans and eliminating the little income grandmothers were earning in their money market funds is beneficial to the people of this country? He says the Fed and the Davos elite depend upon the indoctrinated ignorance conveyed by government schooling to implement their relentless plundering of the people's wealth. And he says the unceasing yammering by Fed governors about the lack of inflation and the falsification of true inflation by the government apparatchiks of the BLS is jammed down our throats by their co-conspirators in the corporate media as, and is ex- accepted as fact by the same people unquestioningly, unquestioningly believing a mask keeps them safe from a virus. Jim Quinn says anyone living in the real world, not the fantasy model world of Fed and Davos elite, knows they are being hammered by rising prices on everything they need to survive. The massive inflation in stock prices since April has benefited the top 0.1%, while the unemployed and senior citizens have seen inflation in food, fuel, housing, medical care, and used cars. And then he lists the rate of inflation for a few things you might need just since May. According to CNN, corn up by 12%. Soybeans, the price has increased by 12%. Beef, 16%. Oh, this one's going to sting some folks. Coffee, 27%. Sugar, 22%. Cocoa, 12%. Cotton, 12%. Unleaded gas, 68%. Natural gas, 36%. Now, he says gasoline was priced low when we weren't allowed to drive, and as soon as people were allowed to get back to work, prices soared. With the poor struggling to get by, used car prices have soared by double digits since May. Home prices have continued their relentless increase, up 64% since 2012, pricing young families out of the market. The big lie is the BLS reported inflation in medical care of less than 1%. But he says everyone knows that's a lie. Medical premiums, co-pays, and deductibles have been rising at double digits for the last decade. We are being systematically destroyed by evil sociopaths in suits, pretending to be looking out for our best interests. Back in late March, he wrote an article titled P for Pandemic, when the death count was still under 3,000. And Jim Quinn says, I was suspicious about the lockdown then, and my worst fears about the true motivation of those in power have been confirmed as time has passed. This passage from the dystopian film V for Vendetta captures the essence of what has happened and what is happening today. This is the V for Vendetta speech to London, where V says, and the truth is there is something terribly wrong with this country, isn't there? Cruelty and injustice, intolerance and oppression, and where once you had the freedom to object, to think and speak as you saw fit, you now have censors and systems of surveillance coercing your conformity and soliciting your submission. 
How did this happen? Who's to blame? Well, certainly there are those who are more responsible than others, and they will be held accountable. But again, truth be told, if you're looking for the guilty, you need only look into a mirror. And he says, I know why you did it. I know you were afraid. Who wouldn't be? War, terror, disease. There were a myriad of problems which conspired to corrupt your reason and to rob you of your common sense. Fear got the best of you, and in your panic, you turned to the now High Chancellor, Adam Suttler. He promised you order. He promised you peace. And all he demanded in return was your silent, obedient consent. Now, Jim Quinn says there is something terribly wrong with this country. The oppression is not being inflicted upon people of, of color, the narrative being sold by the elite, but on all hardworking Americans trying to live their lives with the freedom and liberty to make their own choices and live with the consequences. The freedom to object and question authority, a natural right, documented and guaranteed in the Constitution, is rapidly being crushed as deep state surveillance entities like Google, Facebook, Twitter, censor and memory hole any view not conforming to the approved deep state narrative. He says it's never been more evident than during this pandemic where doctors, real journalists, truthful thinkers, even Ron Paul have seen their videos, tweets, and articles suppressed and removed from platforms supposedly created to allow for the free flow of ideas and opinions. Big Brother is watching and will punish you for questioning the approved deep state narrative. And by allowing only one approved narrative to reach the masses through the corporate media and social media outlets, the ruling class can more easily coerce conformity and submission to their demands. The nonconformists will be brought into line through the use of the truncheon and threats to destroy your ability to make a living. He says the question is always who deserves the blame? Who is guilty for systematically destroying a once great country of self-reliant, hard-working, family-oriented citizens who adhered to communal standards of decency and respect for one another. And the answer is, as throughout history, the battle between good and evil is waged within the hearts of men. And when evil men gain control because good men are fearful or unable to comprehend their evil intentions, civil society breaks down and a dystopian storm darkens the landscape. His point being, we are entering the climactic phase of this fourth turning, and there is no escape from its impact on our lives. As with previous fourth turnings, he says, there will be bloodshed and war before a final outcome is determined, with clear winners and losers. But he says, make no mistake, the deep state oligarchs have an overwhelming advantage in wealth, power, and weapons as we enter this fight. And he says, their intentions are truly evil, to enslave the masses in debt servitude and fear, enforcing their warped morality through technological surveillance mechanisms while they reap the benefits of ungodly wealth and indulging their sociopathic desire for command and control over the lives of others. He says the BLM and Antifa terrorists aren't the real enemy. They are just useful idiots and paid provocateurs creating havoc in our cities to further the agenda of Soros and his Davos gang. Now, there's just a bit more, and we'll get to it in just a few moments as we finish up this article from Jim Quinn. Again, it's entitled, The Only Thing Systematic is the Destruction of America. This is hard information, but you've got to be willing to confront it if you want to see what's going on around us. We'll be back in just a moment. This is The Brian Hyde Show. 
This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, once again, welcome back to the show. By the way, thanks to those of you who take the time to share this uh, podcast. I mean, if you can catch the live stream, that's great. But for those who can't and who choose to become part of our Wrong Thinker podcast audience, thank you for subscribing. Please let your friends know, if nothing else. Look, you don't have to tell them, Brian's really got it all figured out. He is, he is the voice of reason. I would love it if you did, but I don't know that that's necessarily the truth. Just let them know there is a platform where truth is spoken, where they can get uh, mostly unspun information. I'm not saying that I'm not biased. I am biased, but I'm biased to the side of truth, light, and freedom. Even if those truths are sometimes hard and sometimes the light is a little bit blinding. That's why I share what I share, and that's why I ask you, please consider these things. You make up your mind whether or not it's something you believe, whether it's something you assimilate into your worldview. But boy, do we live in interesting times. Going back to this article from Jim Quinn, The Only Thing Systematic is the Destruction of America. This is part two of a two-part series of articles he had written on the subject. He asks, does the upcoming election even matter when you understand who is really in control? He says it does matter that it will likely in that it will likely be the spark which ignites the powder keg of discontent and anger built up over the first decade of this fourth turning. Trump is the great champion of this crisis, whether you like it or not. Remember that at least half the population hated Lincoln and FDR as they assumed the reins of great champion in the previous two fourth turnings. But he says, I don't think Trump is a savior or a deep state lackey. I don't see him in the role of High Chancellor Sutler from V for Vendetta ordering your obedient consent to keep you safe. He is the lightning rod initiating conflict between the shadowy evil deep state operatives and those representing freedom, truth, and the original tenets of the U.S. Constitution. So he's a conduit for conflict, and watching the deep state try to undermine his presidency for four years has convinced Jim Quinn that Trump is not their puppet, despite his baffling decisions in surrounding himself with deep state delegates that have stabbed him in the back. Now, he does say the perfect match for Sutler from V for Vendetta would be Kamala Harris, a woman with no sense of morality who exhibits a sociopathic hatred for her chosen enemies and will do or say anything to achieve power. The game plan is to steal the election through mail-in ballot fraud and replace Biden with Harris in short order. She and her backers will proclaim the need for drastic steps to restore order and peace while culling the herd of dissenters and those unwilling to bow to her excellency. He says now is the time to be vigilant. Make sure that you can depend on those closest to you and recognize your enemies. He says, preparation time for the coming whirlwind of violence is growing short. The epic battle between good and evil has commenced. What happens over the next few years will determine the future course of history on this planet. I don't think he's being dramatic, by the way, in how he puts this. Triumph or tragedy hangs in the balance. Courage, strength of character, fortitude in the face of adversity, and a love for liberty and freedom can overcome the dark forces engulfing our nation. And he says, good luck and Godspeed. He ends with a quote, by the way, from Strauss and Howe's book, The Fourth Turning, which I have long urged my listeners to please consider reading. The quote says, the climax of this fourth turning shakes a society to its roots, transforms its institutions, redirects its purposes, and marks its people and its generations for life. The climax can end in triumph or tragedy or some combination of both. 
whatever the event and whatever the outcome, a society passes through a great gate of history, fundamentally altering the course of civilization. Pretty powerful stuff. And I hope you'll check this out. I really hope that you will scope out this article from Jim Quinn and consider it for yourself. One final article I wanted to share with you today, and this is from Judge Andrew Napolitano. Um, because there is so much interest in what's going on with the Supreme Court nomination of, uh, what is her name, Amy um, Coney Barrett. He asks the question, can the government force us to eat broccoli? <laughs> no, this is, this is actually a very relevant question. And, and Judge Napolitano starts with a quote from Justice William O. Douglas. The Constitution is not neutral. It was designed to take the government off the backs of the people. Now, Judge Napolitano says, with President Trump's nomination of Judge Amy Coney Barrett to the U.S. Supreme Court, the Affordable Care Act, or Obamacare, is back in the news. You see, Judge Barrett expressed constitutional misgivings about Obamacare 10 years ago when she was a professor at Notre Dame Law School. And some folks who oppose her nomination have argued that she should be confirmed in the next month that should she be confirmed in the next month, she should not hear the November 10th arguments on Obamacare. Now, Judge Napolitano says, wait a minute. Didn't the Supreme Court already uphold Obamacare in 2012? Yes, it did. So why is the constitutionality of this legislation back before the Supreme Court? Well, here's the backstory. The Affordable Care Act of 2010 marked the complete federal takeover of regulating health care delivery in America. It eliminated personal choices and mandated rules and regulations on almost all aspects of health care and health care insurance. It created a complex structure that, at the back end, directed the expenditure of hundreds of billions of dollars on health care and, at the front end, received health insurance premiums from or on behalf of every adult in America. So to assure that every adult obtained and paid for health care coverage... The ACA authorized the IRS to assess those who failed to have health insurance about $8,800 a year and to use that money to purchase a bare-bones insurance policy for them. The requirement of all adults to maintain health care coverage and the power of the IRS to assess them if they don't is what's known as the individual mandate. Now, when the ACA was challenged in 2012, the challengers argued that Congress lacked the constitutional power to micromanage health care and to enforce the individual mandate. The feds argued that this was all interstate commerce and Congress's reach in this area is broad and deep. Yet, Napolitano argues, both the challengers and the government agreed that the IRS assessment was not a tax. The challengers argued it was a penalty for failure to comply with a government regulation. And thus, those not complying with the individual mandate were entitled to a hearing before they could be punished. The government, on the other hand, argued that the assessment was triggered by people choosing freely to have the, pe the feds purchase their insurance for them. The feds could not argue that this ass assessment was a tax because President Obama had promised his health care programs would not increase anyone's taxes. In 2012, the Supreme Court ruled 5-4 to four that the individual mandate was a tax and that since under big government constitutional jurisprudence, Congress can tax anything it wants, the ACA was constitutional. Now, this logic was deeply disconcerting to those of us who believe that the U.S. Constitution doesn't unleash the federal government, but restrains it. The Constitution was written to keep the government off our backs, yet Chief Justice John Roberts wrote, along with his four liberal colleagues, that while Congress cannot order us to eat broccoli, it could tax us if we don't. The same, he reasoned, is the case for maintaining health insurance. 
So in 2017, Donald Trump became president and the Republicans retained control of Congress. During a massive reform of American tax law, Congress did away with the tax on those who failed to maintain health insurance by reducing it to zero. Then 18 states challenged the ACA again, this time arguing that since there was no longer a tax associated with the ACA, and since the tax formerly associated with it was the only hook on which the Supreme Court hung its constitutional hat, the ACA was now unconstitutional. A federal district judge, a federal district court rather, and Fifth Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals agreed, and lawyers representing the federal government filed an appeal to the Supreme Court. He says, I I wrote lawyers representing the federal government because the Department of Justice, which defended the statute in the district court, withdrew the case under Mr. Trump's orders. Then, the House of Representatives hired a team of private lawyers to defend the statute. And this is very irregular. The presidential oath requires that the president faithfully execute his office. James Madison, who wrote the oath and many other parts of the Constitution, insisted on using the word faithfully because he anticipated the presidential temptation to enforce only statutes with which a president agrees. The word faithfully was intended to remind presidents of their oath of fidelity to the Constitution and all laws pursuant to it, whether they agree with those laws or not. Now back to Judge Barrett. When she questioned the Chief Justice's logic about congressional taxation used to bootstrap a 2,700-page regulatory takeover of the delivery of health care, she did so in an academic setting designed to stimulate student understanding. She did not do so as a judge. And Napolitano says, having taught law school for 16 years, I can tell you that professors of law often make provocative remarks just to see how students will analyze them. The remarks are hardly a textual commitment to a legal position. Yet Judge Barrett's remarks were well-grounded. And Judge, Ro- Judge Ro- Justice Roberts' broccoli example is telling. What is the effective difference between ordering me to eat broccoli and taxing me if I don't? What is the effective difference between ordering me to eat broccoli or taxing me if I don't? Well, he says it's nothing except a rejection of the Constitution as an instrument designed to preserve freedom, a design that rarely works that way. He concludes by saying its original end was that the government leaves us alone. But that end is no longer in sight. That's a pretty cool commentary. You'll find it in the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. Thanks for joining us today. This is The Brian Hyde Show.